Ahab, the death of King Ahab. Boy, I'm telling you what, Ahab is an interesting fellow. You could, we could take a little time and just do some studying on Ahab and Jezebel, and now all kind of uh, things we could learn from them, but because we're following the roadmap of the miracles of the Old Testament, we're going to take a little bit of time and look at the death <coughs> of King Ahab. Now, in order to understand our text passage that we'll be looking at there in 1 Kings 22, 29 to 20, uh, 38, in order to understand this text, uh, I need to go over some details that lead up to uh, the death of Ahab. Of course, you remember some of the miracles we've looked at. Uh, uh, Elijah and Ahab, you know, some of the run-ins that they had with one another. Uh, uh, but Ahab has continued to go. And in 1 Kings uh, 21, we find the story of Naboth's vineyard. And, of course, the story of Naboth's vineyard, uh, uh, Naboth had inherited a vineyard that was close to the king's palace. Uh, and apparently, Naboth had a green thumb. Uh, and he had done well with this vineyard and he had developed it and it was a beautiful vineyard uh, and the king wanted it and the king's like I really want this vineyard and, and Naboth said no it's an inheritance I'm not going to sell it I'm not going to get rid of it I'm going to hang on to it uh, and uh, of course that was Naboth's right there's nothing wrong with him wanting to keep his inheritance uh, but Ahab you know he was a greedy guy and he wanted it for himself but he didn't see within himself how he could go about getting it so he went home and he told Jezebel Boy, we can just stop here and preach a whole message, but we'll move on from there. Uh, he went home and he told Jezebel, and he said, uh, Jezebel, I want this vineyard, and, but I don't know what to do. And Jezebel said, I'll take care of it. And Jezebel uh, had Naboth killed uh, so that the king could have the vineyard. And so the king uh, went and he took possession uh, of the vineyard. And in 1 Kings uh, 21, uh, verses 17 and 19, we find that God sent Elijah to prophesy the death of Ahab and Jezebel because of their sin against Naboth. If you turn back a couple pages there to 1 Kings 21, we'll read verses 17 and 19, and you can read of Elijah prophesying of Ahab's death. The Bible says in 1 Kings 21, verse number 17, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Because of what Ahab and Jezebel had done, to Naboth, Elijah shows up. Uh, and of course, uh, Elijah shows up there. And if you look back a few verses, you'll find uh, uh, that Ahab uh, uh, says, What are you doing here? Why, why are you coming to trouble me again? And Elijah prophesies, uh, Because of what you've done, uh, where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, uh, you, they will lick your blood too. God is going to kill you because uh, of what you've done. But you know, oftentimes, uh, God doesn't move as swiftly or as quickly uh, as you and I think that he should uh, or that we would have in ourselves. Uh, three years went by after Elijah's prophecy. And Ahab was getting ready to go to battle with Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. They were coming together. Uh, Ahab had joined forces with Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. They're going to go and they're going to fight against Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. They've had a couple of battles with Ben-Hadad. Uh, Ben-Hadad really does not like Ahab. Uh, he uh, just doesn't have anything good to say about him, but he's possessing part of Israel's land. Uh, and Ahab uh, joins forces with Jehoshaphat. He says, we're going to go and we're going to whip Ben-Hadad. We're going to run him out of Ramoth Gilead and we're going to take back what is ours. Uh, are you with me? Jehoshaphat said, I'm with you. Let's go. So they got the armies ready 
ready, they're saddled up, they're ready to go to battle, and Jehoshaphat says, uh, Ahab, uh, is there a prophet who we could inquire of the Lord before we go? Is there is there somebody that we could ask, uh, uh, you know, is the Lord in this uh, a military battle or, or should we hold off? And so Ahab called his prophets, uh, and he had uh, about 400 of them come, and all of the prophets said, go up to Ramoth, Gilead, go up, God is going to bless you, God's going to prosper, you can go on and, and it'll be okay. Well, apparently Jehoshaphat was seeing through these guys. He was like, something ain't right about this, I'm still not feeling good about it. And so he said to Ahab, he said, is there not a prophet of God? Which makes me think that Jehoshaphat just really wasn't buying into Ahab's prophets being prophets of God. He said, is there not a prophet of God who we can inquire before we go to the battle? And Ahab said, well, there's one guy. His name is Micaiah. He said, but I don't like him. Because anytime I ask him for a prophecy, he always does, he never has anything good to say about me. He always prophesies evil. Jehoshaphat said, well, I want to hear what he says to say about this battle. So they send and they get Micaiah, they bring Micaiah out, and Micaiah prophesies that Ahab will be killed in the battle. Micaiah prophesies Ahab's death. In 1 Kings 22, verses 16 and 17, we read of the prophecy that Micaiah gave. And the king said unto him, because if you go up to verse number 14, 15, you'll find out that when Micaiah first showed up, uh, he just told the king to go to battle and everything would be okay. And the king says in verse number 16, and the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, this is Micaiah speaking, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hill as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. So we see here that Elijah prophesied the death of Ahab, and now Micaiah has prophesied that it will be in this battle that Ahab will die. But despite these clear warnings from God, when we open our Bibles to 1 Kings 22 and verse number 29, we find that Ahab is still going to war. So read together with me, starting in verse number 29, down through verse number 38, and we're going to look at some applications that I believe we can make for ourselves from this account of the death of Ahab. In verse number 29 of chapter 22, the Bible says, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle, but put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. But the king of Syria commanded his thirty and two captains that had rule over his chariots, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. And it came to pass, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. They turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it came to pass, when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man drew a bow at a venture, and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand, and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even. And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. There went a proclamation throughout the host about the going down of the sun, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. They buried the king in Samaria. 
And one washed the chariot, the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. They washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord, which he spake. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your house. I thank you, dear Lord, for the truth of your word. I thank you, dear Lord, for these stories that are recorded throughout the Old Testament. Lord, that's been given to us as a schoolmaster. That, Lord, we can look at these stories and these accounts. And, Father, we can find applications that we can make to ourselves. That, Lord, help us understand how we can better live for you. And, Father, I pray that you will bless now as we look at this story of the death of Ahab. And, Father, Lord, we will be able to learn, uh, Father, better how to be a Christian. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now that we know the events that led up to this account, I want to take a few minutes and look at Ahab's actions and see if we can make an application unto our own accountability to God and his word. Each and every one of us are, as Christians, we are accountable to God and his word. When we accept him, he gives to us his word, and we are accountable to read it and to understand it and to apply it and to live by it. And I believe that we can look at this story of Ahab's death and we can learn some things about our own accountability to God. The first thing that I noticed in this passage about Ahab's death is that Ahab ignored God's man. Ahab ignored God's man. The Bible says in verse number 29, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramath Gilead. Earlier in the chapter we read how the Micaiah clearly prophesied that Ahab would die in the battle. He said, here is what God has said. God has said to the children of Israel, be a sheep without a shepherd. There'll be as a, a people without any master. Ahab, you're going to die in this battle. And yet we see that instead of recognizing Micaiah's sincerity and Micaiah's dedication to the word of the Lord and the fact that Micaiah was giving him what God had said, we find that Ahab became angry at Micaiah and he had him imprisoned. And he told his guards, he said, take Micaiah and put him in prison. He said, and bring him bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. Now, bread of affliction and water of affliction means that they fed him just barely enough to keep him alive so that he would suffer the pains of starvation for a much, much longer time. They just barely fed him enough to keep him alive. He said, put him in prison and feed him the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I return in peace. Ahab was confident that he was going to win this battle and that he was going to come back regardless of what the man of God had said. Now, if you think about the fact that Micaiah was trying to save the king's life, that's some pretty sorry things for trying to save somebody's life. Micaiah was looking out for the king. He even tells the king, I encourage you to go back and read this whole story starting in chapter number 21. He tells the king, he says, look, a, a, a spirit has came and influenced the mouths of all your other prophets to speak well to you. He said, and I am trying to tell you that's what's going on. He said, you need not go to this battle. You're going to die in this battle. He said, put him in prison, feed him the bread of affliction. I'm going to paddle anyway. Ahab ignored uh, God's man. Why did he ignore God's man? I believe that Ahab allowed his pride to dictate his actions. Can you imagine? Ahab sends a messenger to Jehoshaphat. He says, Jehoshaphat, I want to go take Ramoth Gilead. You with me? 
Jehoshaphat sends a messenger back. Yes, I'm with you. Whatever you want to do, we'll do it together. And so Jehoshaphat brings his army. Ahab brings his army. They're saddled up. They're ready to go to battle. Everything is in array. A lot of time and effort has been put into this to get ready for this battle. And now this prophet says, you shouldn't do this. Now this is going to make Ahab look really bad. If he says, oh, Jehoshaphat, we're, we're not going to do this. You see, the thing is, though, that Ahab overlooked the fact that Jehoshaphat was worried about this. He was concerned about it. All Ahab could see was his own pride, his own image, and he didn't want to call this off. He wanted to go, so he ignored what the man of God had to say. You know what? How many times are we tempted to fall into this same trap? How many times are we tempted because of our pride, because of our public image, because of what somebody else might think of us, that we want to close the Bible for just a little bit? We've all been tempted to do that. We can admit that. We've all been tempted. There's been times whenever we had to pray that the Lord give us courage, that the Lord give us the ability to be faithful to his word, because the devil will jump on your back and he will tempt you. He's like, what's everybody going to think? We're tempted to dispose the word. Ahab, he shut his mind uh, to the word of God. He seared his conscience. Uh, he didn't listen to the warning of the prophet. Uh, Ahab said, I am going to do what I want to do. In addition to his pride, I believe there was another reason that Ahab ignored the word of the Lord. That's your second one there on your sheet. Ahab underestimated God's plan. I believe he didn't listen to the prophet, first of all, because of his pride, but I think he didn't listen to the prophet second of all, because he underestimated God's plan. In verse number 30, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself. And I tell you, if you know anything about God, and you read that phrase right there, you have to chuckle a little bit. Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself. Here is Ahab's plan. This is how he's going to get around God. This is how he's going to avoid the judgment. This is how he's going to keep from paying the consequences of ignoring the word of the Lord. He is going to disguise himself. He said, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle, but put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Ahab, in his human reasoning, if the judgment of God was supposed to come through the army of Syria, that if he could fool or outwit the army of Syria, then he has kept God from being able to use them against him. He's like, if God's going to use the Syrians to kill me, and the Syrians can't find me, then God's not going to be able to kill me. He reasoned this out. He thought he had it figured out. Syrians are what God's using. I'm avoiding the Syrians. I'm good. I'm not going to die. I've got this figured out. Ahab underestimated God's plan. He figured he could outwit the people God had planned to use, and in turn, God would be without his resource, and Ahab would go home victorious. But as we'll see more clearly in a few minutes, Ahab seriously underestimated God. You know what? God sometimes uses men to accomplish his goals. But nothing that God does is dependent on man. Now sometimes he will use man to accomplish what needs to be done. 
But nothing that he does is dependent on man. If God wants to use me to pastor Marlboro Baptist Church, and so I am here as pastor, God can use me to accomplish his goal. But if for some reason I decide that I don't want to do this anymore, I don't handicap God in any way whatsoever because nothing he does is dependent on me. And God can use you for many different works. And if you are willing, God will accomplish great and mighty things through your life. But nothing that God does is going to be hindered if you decide not to do it. Ahab here thought that he could outsmart God, but God wasn't dependent on the Syrians to kill Ahab. He, had, he, he wasn't dependent on the Syrians recognizing Ahab. God had a much bigger plan. Ahab wrongly thought if he could disguise himself and hide from the Syrians, he would be able to avoid the judgment of God. And for a little while, it seemed like it was working. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. You can just think in your mind. Has there ever been a time when you thought you could avoid the judgment of God and for a little while it seemed like it was working? Maybe we could make it a, a more pra practical application. Maybe whenever you was at home and your dad had told you that you got to be home by a certain time at night and you come home and you're 30 minutes late and you've got your story ready, you've figured out how you're going to do this and you walk into the house and dad's over here fixing himself some coffee or he's getting himself something to eat or whatever and he says, oh son, you go on in, you go to your bedroom. Dad ain't saying anything. You come on back out Dad's just sitting over there reading the paper for you. I see you keep looking at Lewis. I ain't sure what's going on here. But Dad's sitting over there reading the newspaper, you know. And you're like, I got away with it. I got away with it. And so you settle in across from Dad, and he lowers that paper and says, Son, you're like, oh, oh, I didn't get away with it. You know what? We do that with our Father. We do that with God. Looks like I got away with it. Looks like I pulled a slip one on God. Looks like nothing. I'm not going to have any repercussions. We see here that in verses 31 to 33, Ahab outsmarted Ben-Hadad's men. He outsmarted the Syrian army. It says in verse number 31, But the king of Syria commanded his thirty and two captains that had rule over his chariot, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only to the king of Israel. And it came to pass, when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. They turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. I'm just going to throw this in here. I've always wondered why in the world Jehoshaphat went along with his plan to wear his kingly robes when Ahab did. But anyway. Uh, and it came to pass, when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. Now Ahab is here. Ahab is here while this is happening. Ahab is there in the battle, and he is watching this play out. He understands that Ben-Hadad has sent his men after Ahab. He watches as Ben-Hadad's men set their eyes on Jehoshaphat. They begin pursuing him. He sees Jehoshaphat letting them know that he's not Ahab, and he watches the army back off. And Ahab thinks, we did it. We pulled this off. They're backing off. I did it. I managed to escape this. Uh, I bet Ahab's mind was full of everything he was going to say to Micaiah when he got back to Samaria. Well, I cannot wait to get back and pull that rascal out of the pit and let him know 
Here I am, victorious. And I said you had to eat the bread of affliction, water of affliction, till I return. Guess what? I'm back, and you get to eat it some more. I mean, I bet he had all kinds of thoughts in his mind. I done did this. I've outsmarted God. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to tell Micaiah, I've avoided judgment. I've slid by, slid by what the man of God prophesied. Ahab had went directly against the word of the Lord. Got away with it. That's what he thought. But in truth, all he had accomplished was outsmarting man. He hadn't outsmarted God at all. You know what a common misconception occurs when we gauge our relation with God on our interaction with man. Whenever I gauge how, how I stand in relation to God by how I'm interacting with man, on any level, a misconception occurs. Because man is so far less than God, I cannot gauge my success by my interaction with man concerning God. Because man does not in any way compare to God. Ahab thought that he had won a victory, but all he had out all he had done was outsmart some men. He had come nowhere near outsmarting God. Ahab felt that he had avoided the judgment of God. You know what? Sometimes the devil will deceive us into thinking. That if we've outsmarted man, we have also bypassed the all-knowing, all-seeing eye of God. But in truth, we can never, despite our best efforts, get past the almighty hand of God. In verses 34 down through verse number 38, we see that though Ahab felt his plan was working, when God was ready to execute judgment, Ahab perished at God's hand. Ahab thought it was working out, but whenever God was ready, to send that fatal blow. It didn't matter if he had outsmarted the Syrians. It didn't matter if he had disguised himself. It didn't matter what kind of plan he had. When God was ready to send the fatal blow, just as Micaiah had prophesied, God sent the fatal blow and Ahab perished at God's hand. In verse number 34 it says, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harm. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thy hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. Battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even. The blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. Ahab thought he was winning. Ahab thought he had dodged the judgment of God. But a certain man drew a bow at a venture on a whim. The army's backing up. That's not King Ahab. All right, let's pull back, guys. Let's regroup. And they're backing up, and this archer just for some reason, takes a notion to knock an arrow, pull it back, and let it go towards the army of Israel on a whim, for no reason, not aiming at any target. You see, the thing is, you can't ever hide from God. You might fool the Syrian army. You might disguise yourself. You might outsmart your fellow man. But you can never, ever, ever hide from God. They were pulling back and God came down and he said to this archer, he's like, fling an arrow. Now, I don't know. This is my assumption, so you don't have to agree with this if you don't want to. But I imagine, had he not hit Ahab, this guy would have probably got in big trouble for just flinging an arrow when they were backing up and getting ready to regroup. I'm sure his commanding officer would be like, what in the world are you doing? I mean, we're trying to back up, regroup, figure out what we're doing, and you're just flinging arrows everywhere. I mean, 
But he hid Ahab, so I'm sure he got rewarded instead. But they're just backing up. God comes down and he says, hey, hey, shoot an arrow that way. He's like, his buddy in the chariot beside him said, what in the world did you do that for? He's like, I don't know. I just got this notion of shoot an arrow that way. I don't know. What happened was God said, Ahab, I don't care how sick you think you are. I said you were going to die in this battle. And you are going to die in this battle. Now it says that the arrow hit Ahab in the joints of the hearts. I did a little research on what that means. And Ahab most likely had on an armor. And right where his top half of his armor connected to the bottom half of his armor, a lot of times they joined there. They would call that the joints of the heart. And there was just a little gap sometimes between your upper armor and your lower armor. And that arrow went shoo, just like David's stone hit Goliath in the only available spot in his head. God grabbed a hold of that arrow and God guided that arrow and stuck it in Ahab. Who knows? The guy that shot an adventure may have shot it this way and God just Use the wind to bring that thing back around. I've seen arrows do that when God wasn't involved. So, <laughs> brought that thing around, and he stuck that arrow right in Ahab, and as soon as it hit as soon as it hit him, Ahab realized something that I believe you and I need to ingrain in our minds. It's impossible to outsmart God. As soon as that arrow buried up in him, Ahab's like, it's impossible. Smart God. It says in verse number 36, there went a proclamation throughout the host about the going down of the sun, saying, every man to his city, every man to his own country. So the king died, brought to Samaria. They buried the king in Samaria. And one washed the chariots in the pool of Samaria. You know, I like how the Bible reads. Three years ago, Elijah said, where they lick Naboth's blood, they're going to lick yours. They brought the king back from battle. They buried the king. Somebody looked at the crowd and they picked out a servant. They said, hey, can you take that chariot and wash it out for me? No instructions, no, not telling him where to go or what to do. Just, hey, can you go wash the chariot? He takes the chariot and one took the chariot. He went to the pool of Samaria and washed the blood out. And the dogs licked up the blood at the very place where they had licked up the blood of Naboth, just as Elijah had prophesied three years earlier. You know what? Sometimes God may not move as swift as you think that he will, but he will always move. And he will always do what he said he will do. I believe that from this account we can learn a couple of things. Number one, I believe that we can learn that it always pays to take heed to the word of God. The Bible was written for our benefit. And you know what? The sooner we get that, the better off we'll be as Christians. This was not written to be a boundary fence. This wasn't written to be a cage. This wasn't meant to be a ball and a chain. This was written for our benefit. And whenever we learn that and we take it and we read it and we apply it, then we are blessed because of it. But whenever we ignore it and go against it, there will be consequences. And there will be consequences even if you've never read it because there is always consequences to sin. And so God says, obey my word so that you don't have to suffer the consequences. But for whatever reason, we insist on rebelling against the word of God and we suffer the consequences. We can learn from this account of Ahab that it always pays. Pay attention to God's word. Listen 
what it says. Do our best to live by his principles work. His principles work. Always pays to take heed to the word of God. We may not always want to comply, but in the end, obeying God's word is always the best. And then the second thing, not only should we take heed to his word, but we need to learn that there is no way that we can ever escape the consequences that God has set in place. You can't outsmart God. You may think you've gotten by. You may think that he's not doing anything. Three years may have went by since the prophet said he was going to die and nothing's happened yet. But God will always do what he said he will do. Don't ever get the idea. Don't ever let the devil fool you into thinking that God will not judge. And you know what? Here's the good thing about God. If you have disobeyed the word of God, and the consequences haven't hit you, get busy repenting. The sooner you repent, the less the repercussions. But the longer you go on not repenting of that sin, because apparently you're not getting in trouble for it, the greater the repercussions. If you've not suffered consequence yet, God is showing you mercies and giving you time to repent. Repent. You know the reason that it was three years after Elijah prophesied before Ahab died? Because when Elijah prophesied, Elijah fell before God, wept, put on sackcloth, and repented before God. God said, okay, I'm not going to kill you today. We'll give you a few more years. You know what? You can lessen the repercussions if you repent while God's giving you space to repent. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this story about the death of Ahab. And Father, Lord, what an interesting story it is, Lord, how that you moved upon, a, upon an enemy soldier. And Lord, he obeyed what you nudged him to do. And Father, through him, Lord, you brought to pass your prophecy. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can look at these stories. And Father, we can learn from them. We can apply them to our life. And Father, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to learn to be people that believe in your word, that apply your word, that live by your word. And Father, that we're quick to repent when we transgress against your word. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to be the Christians you'd have us to be. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Be with us we go our different ways home. I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless the wild game dinner. Uh, Lord, this Saturday, Father, I pray you will bring out the people, uh, Lord, that need to hear the gospel. And Father, Lord, that we'll see folks come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.